Welcome back to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name's Jack Lomas and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. For this episode, I'm so excited to be joined by Jacob Wachowski, Director of Ecosystem Adventures at Bentley, working with organizations around the world that design, build, and operate the built environment. At Bentley, Jacob's responsible for leading their ventures and strategic partnerships, working with exciting businesses from large industry leaders like Siemens, Microsoft, and NVIDIA, all the way through to exciting cutting-edge startups. Jacob has a really great visibility of all of the change that we're seeing in the built environment. And over the course of the episode, we really break down some of the key themes, enablers, and challenges that many of the organizations that we see on a daily basis are going through in evolving to meet the needs of the built environment. Before I pass you over to Jacob, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a share on LinkedIn and a follow on Spotify, as it really helped promote our conversation to others who might find it helpful. And with that, let's welcome Jacob. Hey, Jack. Nice being here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, actually, I'm a, an engineer and an architect by background. I've uh, been in the industry for, for a few years before I moved into the innovation space and joined Bentley a while back. So b- before that, I, I was actually engaged with uh, many of the prestigious uh, projects ac- across the world, whether this was uh, a Kuwait project or Moscow project or Switzerland, uh, understood a few of, of the challenges, right? And, and I really want to address those challenges across the industry. And I, I felt like digitization is really uh, their way to address uh, the industry challenges. And therefore, I moved into innovation. I still could call myself an architect uh, as well, uh, but uh, what I do is uh, slightly different. I help organizations architect new business models and new service offers so they can make, make a bigger impact in the industry. Okay, so you've introduced yourself as an innovation person, but also obviously with that background in, in architecture, in engineering. So I'm going to put you on the spots because you know innovation, you know where we're heading. Where is the industry heading within the next three to five years? That's a very broad question, but I think next three to five years, I think is pretty well-defined. If you were to ask me 10, 15 years, it would be a bit more difficult. But I think there are a few major trends that are very strongly influencing the way our industry operates. First of all, uh, the aspect of digitization. I think it's very clear that our industry needs to transform the way we operate. And we see not only the digital transformation as internal ways of improving the way the engineering companies, the construction companies, operators and owners or the consultants that serve that operating industry are digitizing the internal processes, but we also see a plethora of uh, new products and offerings uh, towards the external uh, world, as uh, uh, so transforming the service offer from uh, a, a standardized uh, uh, kind of man-hours uh, business model to a more sustainable recurring business model that is happening very, very, very sharply right now. I also see the other trend, which is actually very much connected to the previous trend with digitization, is the move towards a more sustainable construction, more sustainable design, more sustainable operations, right? And that actually triggers uh, the methods and models on how do we get to the, to, to the sustainability. 
And I think that actually uh, sustainability is the reason for the digitization, one of the main reasons in the digitization. I also see a lot of different trends that are affecting the way we operate, especially coming from other industries with technologies that are entering the, the market. Of course, nobody knows about the AI and uh, how it's affecting our day-to-day -day with things like chat GPT and so forth. But I think there is already a, a lot of these the use cases that are being affected by, the by this technology, and I can dive deeper into that uh, as well. So we could see AI. I also see a move towards the new way of experiencing our infrastructure. We call it infrastructure metaverse. You could see, you could think about devices like VR, AR, or other type of kind of devices that help us visualize and interact better with, with, our, with our physical assets as well. So I think those two kind of technologies are really rapidly entering the, the market and affecting not just the engineers, contractors, and so forth, but also the technology companies are adopting each of these innovations into their solution set and, and therefore affecting the, every, all the users of those technologies. So I think those are the main trends and they have also affect the business models, which we could, could dive deeper in a moment. It's a really interesting list. And obviously they're key themes that we are all very aware of within the industry. And there are massive drivers for change in the world that we live in. AI, as well as then the metaverse, those being quite key enablers of progress to be made. Digitalization also a large enabler, but sustainability is interesting. Sustainability is a little bit different because we've seen sustainability as a theme over time, really grow to the prominent challenge that it is today. It's a massive driver. For example, within the water sector, we've seen actually ODIs, so uh, sort of key performance indicators that water companies are assessed against by offwards. ODIs introduced related to carbon accounting and actually understanding our embodied carbon in the infrastructure in the water network. So sustainability being less of an enabler and less of a, a, a driver, but more a core foundation theme within the way that we design, deliver and manage our infrastructure assets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is also a major driver for new type of investments. We see, this is coming from a report of JP Morgan, about $6 trillion a year is going to be injected to address this opportunity uh, in, in the space. So I think there is a, both a challenge to be addressed, meaning how do we ensure that we build, design, build, and operate more sustainably, uh, but also uh, there, there, is a, there is an opportunity there to kind of build new services, redesign your operating models as a company, as a service company, but also internally to kind of rethink how do you, uh, you utilize carbon, uh, where do you allocate carbon. Uh, so, so I think there is going to be a, a, a new industry uh, and also new uh, ways of operating across the different businesses. So definitely, I think sustainability is, is the key team. And, and I can tell you, you know, on the daily basis, I work with organizations to build new service offers. And all they talk about is sustainability offerings, whether this is at the city level, you know, looking at how do you optimize the, the, the consumption of energy across the utility networks to buildings, to plants, or whether this is at the macro scale, 
or whether this is more of a micro scale, you know, specifically, maybe there is a school or, or, or an office looking at uh, reducing energy consumption. Perhaps we have a target, whether this is 20, 30% or 40% of energy. Both type of servings are really possible. But to do that, you need digitization, right? There is a, it's a key enabler and a force factor to uh, be able to kind of track what we, what we do and uh, enable those, those better, better, better operating models. Yeah, and, it, and it's so great to see sustainability really evolve from what was historically coupled with corporate social responsibility and focus on very much the morality side of things. It's now very much become center stage as in they are core primary drivers for change within large organizations. I've got to ask though, going back to AI and the metaverse, we know the industry mm -hmm. that we, that we live in at the minute, it suffers from data challenges. It suffers from potentially low digital maturity in some areas. Are we ready for the metaverse? Are we ready for AI as a core building block to the way that infrastructure assets are designed, built and managed? So uh, first of all, I think that there is a, a, a confusion about where the AI actually stand in the value chain of creating, distributing uh, information and, and, and generally delivering projects or operating assets. Uh, the AI actually can be applied not only in predictive analytics or uh, you know, more advanced use cases where we really need all the information combined together to make that insight, operational insight perhaps, but actually AI can be very useful to get to the point where you do have that amount of information. If you look at the Gartner hype curve, you see that, of course, use cases like generative AI are on the top of the hype curve, but the use cases like machine learning, for example, object recognition, uh, and generally the detection of faults or health of the, understanding the health of the assets from visual inspections, that's already there, right? So those type of use cases are already hitting the plateau of productivity, and they're readily available for us to First of all, build the asset inventories, right? You no longer need to necessarily hire a BIM company to build your uh, BIM model so you can rely on that information. Now you can actually rely on the artificial intelligence from perhaps hundreds of photos, thousands of photos, build a 3D model automatically and there are algorithms that do that and then recognize those assets that are in that 3D model and classify them and make them available for these additional use cases. So I think it, you know the AI can be utilized for the descriptive analytics, the initial phase to actually describe the object, describe the asset, but also later on in more advanced use cases and in operational predictive uh, and cognitive type of analytics uh, later on. Uh, so that's from the for the AI perspective, and I think that uh, the technology is already there. Many vendors, for sure, Bentley, who I work for, we're looking into integrating all sort of analytics and AI use cases into every product that we, that we, that we make. That's a really interesting point that you've raised around generative AI and also then what you've described as like algorithmic parametric modeling. And we, we see a really big push in the industry at the minute towards standardized designs. Would you mind giving a further example? Cause it's really interesting. So, so I think there are two things under uh, one team. First of all, it's about, well, the team is about assisted design. Right. Ultimately, you're designing an object, whether this is a building or a rail asset or a power plant, and you're trying to make uh, informed decisions based on 
perhaps your, your objectives, right? Your design objectives, design criteria. You're designing a hospital for 400 beds or you're designing a power plant that needs to generate X megawatt per, per year for the owner. And those design criteria now are able to be embedded within the, the design tools to give us uh, options, right? So I think there is an, a, a move towards assisted design to generate many, many different options. So that's one kind of aspect, the, the, the sub-bucket, I would say optioneering, I would call it, right? The second uh, bucket, uh, I would say, is really leveraging past projects, past information, the catalogs, the libraries that you have collected to give you a suggestion as to what type of element of object do you want to use for this particular hospital or this particular power plant or a rail asset, right? So think about, you know, having the full repository history of the hundreds or thousands of projects that you've done as a company over the last 10 years and, and really understanding what type of objects are better served for, you know, a project in Kuwait versus a project in Switzerland, right? So based on manufacturers that are present in this particular region. So I think there is catalog, a library of, of elements and then suggestions of what to pick and kind of uh, productization really of the design. And then this optioneering through generative options uh, that is coming to our space. I think this space will re re really uh, evolve over the next uh, uh, three to five years, definitely. So so looking forward to see what's going to happen here. Yeah. And the generative AI point is, is fascinating to me. And it reminds me of one of our previous podcast guests, Greg, CEO, founder at Continuum Industries is a really great example of generative AI. What Continuum do is use generative AI to automate the optioneering process for linear assets, uh, energy, water being really great examples of industries where it can really benefit from generative AI. Continuum Industries are one of the pioneers within that space. But one of the things that's always fascinated me about the engineering industry is everything is rules-based. Everything comes down to applying engineering rules to then design a, a new infrastructure asset. So being in such a rules-based environment where the input is data of some sort, so real-world data, physical mm. world data, and then with rules, those, these parametric rules or engineering rules then applied to this, these data sets to then generate an outcome. It is the most perfect industry to benefit from AI because that is a, it's so algorithmic, right? It's one of the things that's really fascinated me. And it's always kind of slightly puzzled me how it's taken so long to get over this curve before actually there are day-to-day -day conversations around actually, okay, so we've got to do this. How can AI benefit us? How can we use AI within the specific task at hand? Uh, well, absolutely. And I think this is where I would say the threat and the opportunity comes in again, because you see most of the engineering business in our industry is based on times and material kind of business model where we offer services to clients and we charge them for the time spent of, of build, on building the model. So what, what I see is that more and more firms are thinking about uh, moving towards a product-based and IP-based approach where they can not only, they're not only selling, selling the time, but selling the outcomes and selling the actual object of value that they're, about, they're supposed to deliver. 
right? Because uh, this way you, you can actually scale ma- ma- much faster. You can deliver with more repeatability, improve the margin, and uh, and deliver more projects, right? And, and I think you're right. And 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 the, the organizations right now, the, especially the ones that that have a broader vision of the, on the future, are realizing that they might be actually out of business uh, in the next ten years, maybe maybe five to ten years, if they don't do uh, nothing about this, right? Because the entire industry is service based. For those services, might be might be not not as needed, or will there will be companies that will be providing the same output for a fraction of the cost, which also brings me to the fact that actually we need that as an industry, because if you look at the key challenges that the engineering firms are actually facing now, is that their backlog is growing faster than ever, they're not able to deliver on projects, mainly because of a workforce shortage. Right, we don't have enough people in the industry to deliver on the amount of work that needs to be delivered over the next few years, and therefore there is a growing pipeline of unrealized projects. Companies, uh, I think about this was there was a study about forty percent of them need to needs to turn down projects because they are not able to deliver on on those projects anymore. So we we really uh, need to change drastically what we do and how we how we do that. Absolutely. And although there are naturally some significant effective factors on why there is a skill shortage, such as, say, engineering being selected by university students, and that's inflow of engineering students into the industry, as well as then big mega projects like Neom in Saudi Arabia, taking a lot of talent outside mm-hmm. of the UK and, and elsewhere around the world. Although there are those factors at play. I think actually the core challenge is that the lack of digitization and the lack of evolution within the way that capital projects are delivered is catching up with us as an industry. And actually engineering consultancies who are delivering these massive schemes for asset owners and operators, they haven't invested enough into evolving themselves as a business over time. So then naturally as the need for more and more infrastructure grows year by year, they can't deliver that because they're still dependent on headcounts and they're still dependent on the inflow of new skills and increased capacity coming to the industry rather than looking at how technology and digitization can help make the design and delivery of new infrastructure more efficient and more effective. Absolutely. I think there is a lag between the early adopters and the late adopters in this space. The big engineering firms, the big construction firms are, are uh, having uh, strategy teams and, and uh, they do foresee the trends uh, similarly uh, to, to what, we, what we do as a technology company. But, uh, and, and, and they are organizing themselves to address that need. But I think uh, it's only happening, happening in pockets, right, within those companies. So you will have perhaps a company that has 50,000 employees, 20,000 em- employees, but only a, sub, a small subset of these employees is actually uh, digitally equipped uh, to deliver in a new in, in a new way. And this will change over time as demographics will change. But I see that there is also many many laggards that that haven't catched up with that trend. They are not investing, and they will be either completely left off and perhaps even fail as a company over the next five five years. Or they will need to. They will be perhaps acquired by bigger companies just to acquire the headcount and maybe client relationships. 
but definitely they, they, they all will need to kind of move toward those projects. You know, we're talking about AI, advanced analytics, metaverse, and so forth. But when I look at do a cross section of the industry, and you will see that a big portion of the industry is still 2D based, you know, delivering CAD drawing and, and not really thinking about automation and, uh, and analytics and, and so forth, right? So I think we need to be true to, to ourselves. The cross section is very diverse. And, and there are different levels of maturity, but we definitely need to set the pace and set the examples so, so the, the, the rest of the industry, industry can follow. If you look actually at the kind of amount of spend in the construction industry per engineer, and you compare it to an engineer that is perhaps in aerospace industry or other similar industries manufacturing, you will see that the spend is about 5 to 10x uh, engineer head. So there is a, a, a way to catch up, right? So not only will you will see that there is a, a lot of laggards that are still to adopt new ways of working and, and they will be layering workflow by workflow into their day-to-day -day operations. So they might start with maybe beam design then they slowly look into uh, adopting uh, a CDE for collaboration. Then they maybe start to add some analytics on, on top of it. And maybe they move into like uh, uh, multiplayer metaverse experiences and, and so forth. So that's kind of a, a direction, like a layered capabilities that they will be adding on, on and on. But at the same time, spend per engineer will, will grow within those uh, companies, right? So I think we have a long way, um, but this is why this industry is so exciting. We, we can make a difference. Absolutely. And it's the thing that's always uh, really excites me about industry in that it's the combination of the, the opportunity to really deliver some positive impact in the world as well as then actually the opportunity within the industry and the way that that change is delivered. There is so much opportunity to expand and, and grow and evolve the way that we deliver that positive impact, which then increases the opportunity for impacts even more. So it's just a, such a super exciting environment to be working in. And the, the inflow of these new digital capabilities and emerging technologies is naturally to new, super attractive to folks who maybe are in other sectors outside of engineering and maybe want to be part of it and, and come and join us. But also, I think we have a real responsibility as an industry to bring everyone with us for the journey. So then it's not just the, the innovation teams and say the younger people who are maybe more digitally native, who get to work on the, the cool projects and, and get the, the new capabilities, but it's, it's the whole organization and we bring everyone around, everyone with us for the ride. And we recognize that actually there are varying levels of digital maturity and folks vary in how comfortable they feel with these new capabilities, but we, we really invest into everyone and we make sure that everyone is equipped with the right knowledge, skills, and they feel comfortable with these new capabilities on how we can then achieve these great outcomes. And this is why ultimately I think owners and operators do that, that procure projects that are the, ulti the, the client of, 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 for, for re-engineering services and construction services need to take a, a much, say, proactive role in ensuring that these digital capabilities are actually adopted for their benefits and for the benefits of their clients. But we've seen some great examples, whether this is London Olympics or UK or other projects where entire ecosystems were taken into consideration for 
creating a, uh, a change management program across the entire ecosystem. Because ultimately, you, you need to be able to share the information across the full value chain to be able to deliver reliably our projects and, and, and ultimately operate reliably our assets. What advice would you give to large asset owner operators if they are maybe earlier in their journey and maybe want to think about how they can make use of new digital capabilities? Well, first of all, I, I think uh, they need to recognize the, the specific benefits that they are trying to deliver to their customers, right? If, if this is about asset uptime, for example, rail reliability, you want to deliver a rail service to end consumers, which is passengers, you, you need to ensure that this service is reliable and ultimately work backwards and find the best way to deliver on, on that reliability. Uh, if this is um, a, an owner of a power plant and uh, trying to meet the investor uh, return uh, and therefore uh, needs to generate enough output of energy per year to satisfy that, that shareholder value, uh, again, you need to look at working backwards towards, you know, how can I generate more energy? How can I reduce the downtime? How can I ensure that my asset is fully operational all the time so I don't lose the energy? Or at the same time, for example, how can I reduce the cost of water to my water consumers, so everybody, everybody here, uh, and therefore reduce the amount of leakage on and, and power and maybe breakage uh, in my, on my network, right? So I, I think, first of all, recognizing the outcomes that you're trying to provide to, uh, to your customers, to your shareholders. And what you will find, if you really analyze this properly, you will see that a technology plays a big role in delivering those outcomes. It's no longer possible to deliver those outcomes without actually a digital strategy and tools and processes. And wh where could they go from there? Well, I think the more ambitious one should invest in a thriving ecosystem of innovation around their industry and sector, right? So you, what, you, what we see is that for every sector, there will be a, um, so many opportunities for improving, whether this is operational uh, outcomes or capital projects outcomes. So, so what it means is that through, in the, through really bringing in, building a thriving ecosystem, uh, the ecosystem will be able to uh, create new solutions, create new services, and then deliver on those services, and not necessarily more expensively to uh, the actual owner. Right, because one of the one of the KPIs could be uh, cost savings, not necessarily cost increases. Right. This point about ROI is a really important one because naturally, if you're CEO, CFO, large organization, you need to invest into these new capabilities. But then you can't necessarily always pass that on to the customer, and it isn't right to do that. So it's critical that actually you define the challenge and you say, okay, so we think that this solution can help us, and then really being sharp on capturing that ROI because ultimately it needs to generate efficiencies and needs to generate savings to pay for itself. Yeah, and you can see great examples of this ecosystem innovation, like in the UK, for example, I3P, which uh, has taken birth from the previous innovation ecosystem around Crossrail, where the last time I talked with the leadership there, they told me that uh, they had an average 300% ROI on every innovation that invested in, right? So you can, you can uh, really stimulate the, the ecosystem uh, around you and get very tangible uh, benefits uh, out of it. Absolutely. And that core theme of the industry working together 
it's really the core thesis behind Future Engineering Club. So I, I'm grateful for you bringing that point to light. Jacob, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Future Engineering Club podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Keep an eye out for next week's episode. And in the meantime, give me a shout on LinkedIn and let me know what you thought. Thanks and goodbye.